The Truth News Network. A toddler slips through the fence and the Secret Service shuts down the White House. When, seriously, did the leader of the free world begin to fear three-year-olds? More to the point, is this going to become a trend? Well, Mark Twain did say that diapers and politicians should be changed frequently and for the same reasons, so I'm guessing there's a point of commonality with the Oval Office. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And unlike others, you can believe what comes from our leader, Dan Newman. (laughs) Well... Happy day after Thanksgiving, everybody. I know you filled your stomach with good things yesterday, but even better than that, you spent time with people you love. Often, we just take our lives so seriously, we get so busy that we forget about the real things of life, the permanent, the eternal things of life, and those spring from our personal relationships. Let me give you a little piece of advice. 70-year-old guy here, broken family, mom and dad split, dad left, ugly relationship for decades with my father. But not too many years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I fell under conviction for my feelings for my dad. And I felt like I had harbored resentment. I had no idea what all the sticky details were. My mother would never give my brother and I all the facts. She never would say anything negative about our father. And she always said this when the question came up. She'd say, boys, he's your dad. You love your dad. Just leave it right there and love and respect your father. That's all she would ever say. So I didn't have any idea what happened. He did. He moved back to South Texas He married a woman that had a younger child, a boy, and that wife resented my older brother and I, so she kept us apart. She didn't want her son being impacted by his sons, and I resented that too. So let me tell you what happened. I was so convicted one day. I just felt guilty of sin because I had kept from having any personal relationship with my father. And my older brother had done the same thing. And I was so convicted, I got on the phone and called. Hadn't talked to him in years. And his wife answered the phone, and I told her who I was. She was shocked. And my dad picked up the phone, and I said, Hey, Dad, I just wanted to call and check in with you. I've got something I need to ask you. And he was shocked, too. And he said, what's that? And I said, I'm calling to ask you to forgive me for harboring all the anger and even hatred that I have held against you for all of these years. And there was stark silence for about 10 or 15 seconds. And in a broken voice, he said, son, you don't need to ask me to forgive you. If anybody needs to ask to be forgiven, it's me. And I stopped him. I said, Dad, that's not what this call is about. I have put everything that happened, I carried it for decades. I have put it out of my mind. I've asked God to forgive me for holding all the anger and uh, maybe even some hatred for you. And I trust God has forgiven me for that. 
what you did and why you did it, it's none of my business. I put that between you and God. I just want you to forgive me. And he broke down and he began to try to circle back around and make it about him. And I said, this is not about you, Dad. You don't, I'm not asking you, you don't need to say anything to me. I'm clear of that. Please forgive me. And so our relationship, it never got back to normal. But what that did was it broke down a wall for him and his life and his relationships with other people. Forgiveness is probably the most important thing that we can do. Why is that? Because if anger and hatred and grudges are in the air between you and anybody else, I don't care who it is, you'll never have a normal, good relationship with that person. And you can't, you cannot possibly think that everybody in your life that has hurt you is at some point just going to circle back and come around and apologize and say, man, I messed up. Will you forgive me? It, in most cases, isn't going to happen. So we can't control whether to do and don't do. We just can't do it. We can control, however, what we do about issues and relationships. So this yesterday, this holiday, this holiday weekend is the first one of two of the biggest of every year, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Both of them are about good things. If you're carrying big heavy weights, somebody genuinely abused you, hurt you, find a way, try to find a way, go to your knees, talk to God. You know, there's a scripture that you probably have your entire life, like me, quoted special times, the Lord's Prayer. You ever look at that verse in the middle of the Lord's Prayer? Let's say it together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as we forgive those who have transgressed against us. That's the scripture I'm pointing out. We're praying to God, telling God, asking God, I want you and I expect you, Father, to forgive me as I forgive those who trespassed and sinned against me. What does that mean? We're asking God. We're basically saying, God, Don't forgive me unless and until I forgive others that have sinned against me. We're we're praying to God, forgive me as I forgive them at the same time, while to the same degree, all those definitions of as come in there. That is an amazing eye-opening principle of living with and living for God that everybody's got to learn. Hey, I'm not I'm not telling you got to do it cuz I told you it's there and it works. I promise you it works. And so, day after Turkey Day, got a lot of things going on. Now we finally get to Black Friday, although they've been helling Black Friday uh sales for weeks now. Got a lot to do. So stick here for just a little bit.
man, I like that song. I love Steely Dan. You know that because I play their songs pretty regularly. Did you notice a big gruff background noise voice in that? That happens to be Michael McDonald. He's on so many contemporary songs, top 40 songs, especially from the late 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. And he was a big fan of Steely Dan. Well, a shout-out now goes out to Marianne and Grace. Marianne, of course, is my wife. Grace is one of our twin granddaughters. On their way to Dallas, Grace plays in a league in Dallas. She's a soccer stud. Maybe I shouldn't say that. She's a really good soccer player. And uh, she plays on a team, besides her high school team here, she plays on a team over in Dallas. You girls, be careful. Be careful. And uh, I envy the fact that you at least get to spend the day, most of it on the road, but you get to go to Big D. And I know you too, you're going to eat something good while you're over there. So be careful and let Poppy know when y'all head back this way. Well, did you have a clear atmosphere around your Thanksgiving dinner table yesterday. That's that's really important. It's a really big deal. And politics, we're told all the time, don't let politics spoil a family outing. So, I've actually talked about it. I had several people before Thanksgiving, and they brought it up in conversation. How are holiday dinners in your family when y'all all get together? We've got a pretty big family, and we, we were all together yesterday. Well, almost all. We just don't let contentious conversations dominate the discussions when we're together. We try to, we try to just be happy and get along and uh, blow through things. There are always bad things going on in our world. I mean, we're all humans. None of us have it all put together yet. I don't care how old you are. You haven't got it put together yet. And uh, so I, I started wondering. I wonder what our leaders in our nation, what plans they're making for their get-togethers. And lo and behold, I found out the Biden-Harris re-election campaign. They were so careful to make sure that every Democrat, every Democrat that was going to a dinner with family members or friends, that they knew how to handle opposing political views. And they put out a guide, an instruction that they made available to anybody and everybody that wanted it. It's a handy guide for responding to crazy MAGA nonsense. They really did this. So what were the points in it? Well, the guide shared talking points to respond, how to do, how to say to conservative rhetoric about subjects from immigration to the economy. And one section included responses to when someone claims Trump secured our border. And you're supposed to reply with that great intellectual phrase, no, he didn't, followed by claims that all he did was separate families, put children in cages, and leave behind a broken immigration system for Joe Biden to clean up. Wow. There are people out there that actually read that and they practiced the verbiage in that because they knew they were going to be with some conservative family members or friends and that was going to come up. Well, I don't need to tell you this, but the critics went nuts on social media. They shredded 
the list of talking points. They argued that it takes an especially insufferable kind of person to approach the Thanksgiving table looking forward to an argument rather than eating with their family members. Democrats literally publishing a script of how to be the worst person at Thanksgiving? (laughs) That came from one Republican strategist. Imagine needing political talking points for a holiday encounter with your loved ones. Another one said, reminder to all political persuasions, preparing political talking points to use against family members on Thanksgiving is a form of mental illness. Show some maturity. Speak with the right tone or change the subject. (laughs) Biden-Harris putting out propaganda scripts to defend their campaign is gross. All this gaslighting would make North Korean state media blush. Congressional Republican candidate Joe Kent described that post as a thread on how to ignore reality and embrace managed decline. <laughs> I mean, let me give you, let me just give you a few more. Spent the day with eight members of our family dining with us. Four conservative, four liberals. We talked about how thankful we are for our families, our neighbors, our friends. We talked about kids, grandkids, and remember those who were not with us this year. We enjoyed a day of being thankful. You know who that came from? A Republican. (laughs) Another one, reminiscent of the good old days when I was growing up when people knew how to be civil, especially at Thanksgiving dinner. I can't even fathom who would think that they need to put out a manual to teach their followers how to combat anybody that says anything that disagrees with your political perspective on anything. I think I call that paranoia. What about you? I mean, it is paranoia. You don't know if that kind of stuff is going to come up. And if it is, why not just ignore the question or just let somebody else say something instead of getting your hands dirty or starting a family brawl? A family brawl sometimes is okay, but not at Thanksgiving dinner. Come on now. Well, keep your fingers crossed. Just as we went live, it was confirmed that the hostage exchange between Hamas and Israel, the first one, is underway. They've actually started the first one over there. Now, it started at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in Israel. We're watching it. We'll keep you posted to see if, well, there'll be some stuff that comes out of it. But they're going to, I'm pretty sure, keep it quiet, uh, the actual details, for a while. Meanwhile, guess what happened overnight? The Israeli Defense Forces arrested Mohammed Abu Salmaya, who's the director of the Shifa Hospital in Gaza City. And he was arrested as part of an ongoing terror investigation as he attempted to evacuate to the southern Gaza Strip along a humanitarian corridor. Why is this going on? Well, Recently, the IDF uncovered the terror tunnels that are beneath the hospital, or many of them are no longer there, but they found them. 
which had tapped into the hospital's own electricity and water supplies. So somebody in management at the hospital had to open the door to make that happen, right? Who else would it be but the director of the hospital? The IDF also concluded that soldier Noah Marciano, who was taken captive by the Palestinian Hamas terror organization that first day, October 7th, had been murdered in the hospital. The IDF also discovered surveillance footage of other hostages being moved through the hospital by armed Hamas terrorists on the day that they were abducted from Israel during the attack, and the IDF uncovered weapons that were stored within the hospital. Because of all that, the IDF and the Israel Security Agency arrested Salmaya and took him in for questioning. So here's the statement that came from the Israeli IDF and ISA. Quote, the director of the Shifa Hospital in the Gaza Strip was apprehended and transferred, questioning following evidence showing that the Shifa Hospital, under his direct management, served as a Hamas command and control center. The Hamas terror tunnel network situated under the hospital also exploited electricity and other resources taken from the hospital. In addition, Hamas stored numerous weapons inside the hospital and on the hospital grounds. Furthermore, after the massacre of October 7th, Hamas terrorists sought refuge inside the hospital, some of them taking hostages from Israel with them. A pathological report also confirmed the murder of Corporal Noah Marciano on the hospital premises. In the hospital under this guy's management, there was extensive Hamas terrorist activity. Findings of his involvement in terrorist activity will determine whether he'll be subject to further ISA questioning. And I can only imagine what ISA that's Israel's security administration. What kind of questioning that's going to be for Hamas terrorist that basically was a spy. I can't get through a day. Somebody wants to talk about all this. And I know some of you that know me are listening to the show today and you know how absorbed I am in the content of things that we bring to you every day. And just sometimes it just it just gets over the top. I mean, you, you get to feeling dirty. You feel like, oh my gosh, I didn't think people could be this evil. I didn't think this much evil stuff could happen in the United States. But it is, folks. And it probably has been happening to some degree forever. And we just don't see it. Or even sometimes when we see it and find out about it, We don't want to think about it because it's so horrible. Maybe, just maybe, this is purposefully a wake-up call for a lot of us to let us know things are not really good right now. The United States of America is not the shining beacon on the hill that it once was. Yeah, we're still at the top of the heap around the world, but that's nothing to brag about right now. What we got to do is engage. This stuff is happening because there's a void and evil is going to jump into that void and take control every time if there's nothing and nobody in there to keep evil from taking over. Who would that be? Well, it would be 
patriotic Americans that believe in the rule of law, believe in the Constitution, have summarily rejected all of the, uh, oh, I can't even think of what what I should call it, but all of the quote-unquote information, the propaganda that the legacy media crammed down our throats every day, and we just absorb it. We don't push back. You've got to engage at some level. Now, I'll challenge you right now. Everything that has been happening in this thing since October 7th, do you realize how long ago that was? It's almost a month and a half now. It's unbelievable how many people have just been slaughtered. I mean, literally, by like cows at a... uh, uh, a place to go get slaughtered and be turned into steaks. That's happening to human beings. And it seems like the people that are doing it don't even give a rip. It's like, oh, it's another day at the office. We got to stop expecting our kids to just automatically pick up on the things that we picked up on when we were in school, when we were living in our society where there was no internet. Part of my life, there was no television that you could put in your home. And then it was like black and white. I remember when the first color televisions came out. I was still young, but boy, was it exciting to go to somebody's house that had a color television. All of that comes from people engaging in their environments, and they think of ways to make things better for themselves their family members, and other Americans. That's a thought process that is instilled in us when we're very, very young. Let me rephrase that. Formally, that was instilled in little Americans when we were very young. Now, all we get, all our kids get in public school is an indoctrination, identity, self-identification, figuring out what your sex is, learning all about everything that could possibly be discussed about sex before you get to the second grade. And if somebody's got a different skin color from you, either they're evil or you're evil because you can bet your bippy they think you're evil. Religion is divisive. Politics is divisive. Financial standing is devices. Everything that became a tenet in the U.S. Constitution and before that the Declaration of Independence, our forefathers, all those people that bled and died to just establish this nation and then thousands more that died to keep it intact for you and me, those sacrifices, I mean literally sacrifices, we're trampling all over them we Americans today are. If we want to hold on, if we want to keep our liberties and freedom and our independence, we've got to engage in this. Now, I'm not saying we need to get out on the street and glue our bodies to the street like those Palestinian protesters did in the Macy's Day Parade in the Big Apple. They glued themselves to the street. Come on now. We've got to embrace the rule of law. We've got to have those that represent us 
at our local, state, and federal governing levels, we've got to demand that they follow the laws. And we've also got to make sure that everybody in Congress and everybody else that's part of the government process, we hold them accountable for their doing and wrongdoing. Unless and until we do that, we the people, we're going to continue down this road towards total anarchy. And yeah, it's going to morph into authoritarian rule where one person or a handful, maybe 20, 30, 40 people run everything. And they purposely have the power sufficient to maintain their control. Where'd they get that power? Hey, our government is supposed to be, and it was formerly, government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Now it's government by the government, of the government, and for the government. We're not totally there, but we are so far down the road to that, it may be too late to turn around. But we got to try. Me, I'm not going down without swinging at least. At 70 years old, I'm tempted to look at my life and say, you know, by the standards of the 1930s and 40s, you're an old man. 70 years as an old man, I don't feel like I'm 70. I don't think like I'm 70. And it doesn't matter if I'm 70. I still need to participate in the responsibilities of living in the United States of America. And that begins, first of all, by being thankful for who I am, where I am, and the opportunities I still have today and those that are in my rearview mirror, and be thankful for that. Secondly, I've got to put stuff into my life. And that means integrating more with other people. I mean really integrating. I'm not talking about emails and text. I'm talking about spending time looking at people in the eye rather than looking at my cell phone when I'm walking in the mall or walking even in my neighborhood. Our kids live their lives looking at their iPhones. We've got to understand freedom comes with a price. Freedom's not free. Somebody gave their life and others were maimed giving us freedom and maintaining our freedom. And they volunteered to do that. Nobody made them do it. It was a choice. What do you choose today? My uh, New Year's commitment, I've already made it. And it is to get more involved with people around me that I think that I know. And the word know is in quotation marks. I think I know them. But as Paul And Philippians said, now this is the Apostle Paul. If you know anything about Bible history, he he came along in Christianity after much of the, uh, the young things. I'm talking about the things that happened that Jesus instigated in his three and a half years being here and in the miracles, and then he was crucified, rose from the dead, is in heaven today. Paul came along right at the end of that, at the very end of it. But he spent the rest of his life 
going around the then-known world and establishing Christian churches all over the Mediterranean area, the Middle East. That's what he did. And he did it because of his initial introduction to God. Read the story. The Apostle Paul, he was Saul, and he changed his name after he became a Christian. Nobody in biblical history did more to establish the church. And I'm not talking about the buildings. I'm talking about the church being a combination around the world of millions of Christians. That church. He did more for Jesus than anybody I know has ever done. At the end of his ministry, the very end of it in Philippians, he said this. He's talking about one thing he wished and he wants. He said that I may know him, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformable to his death. He's talking about Jesus. There's no telling how many people became Christians because of Paul. So he probably knew Jesus more, better than anybody else other than maybe those 12 disciples that walked with Jesus those three and a half years. But it comes with that relationship with God. It's got to start there. It's got to start there. And it's not complicated. If any of you listening this morning, if you're at a point in desperation or you just need some more information, I don't care where you're living, what part of the world, what part of the United States, it doesn't matter. If you're facing desperation or you're desperate right now, and you don't have anybody, you don't know where to go to get any answers, send me an email, dan at truthnewsnet.org, dan at truthnewsnet.org. As I said, it doesn't matter where you are. I can put you in touch with somebody that I know or I know of and know who they are, not just a name. I don't care where you live on this planet. We can connect you with somebody that can help you with that. Again, dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. 35 years after the original movie, Fox is bringing you back to where it all began. Nobody puts baby in the corner. This is the real Dirty Dance. Eight celebrities compete to become the real baby and Johnny. Where my Johnny is? Some will rise. Some will fall. All will have the time of their life. The Real Dirty Dancing four-week event starts Tuesday at 9 on Fox 5. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni, you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring $6.49 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just $6.49. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. ABC Tonight, it's all about Big Cash. Here we go! And Big Crash. <laughs> On the new season of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, one star will spin it. Give me some money! To win it all. The big winner of $1 million. Then, host Leslie Jones is off to the races on Supermarket Suite. On your carts! 
And we're gonna need a cleanup on every aisle. It all starts tonight, 8, 7 Central on ABC and stream on Hulu. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now. Or later, because these Staples Everyday Price Cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These Everyday Price Cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing Everyday Price Cuts. Thank you. Need more cowbell? Better yet, how about the ring of truth? TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. All of this craziness that's sweeping the world, it's not in a vacuum. It's linked from continent to continent, nation to nation, religion to religion, uh, language-speaking It's everywhere in us. And here in our own nation, we saw a little bit of it yesterday, and we've seen some really nasty things happen with all of this demonstration that turns into rioting that happens. We've seen it through the years, but it's ramping up, and it's anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian, but mostly anti-Israel. This movement, is roiling major American cities. And it began first, I think, in college campuses following the outbreak of this war between Israel and Hamas. Since the 7th of October, attacks on Israel by Hamas terrorists, an outpouring of protest across the world, have not condemned the terror group, but rather the Jewish state which continues to reflect on the loss of more than 1,200 Israelis who died in the massacre on October 7th. The most extreme displays from Hamas sympathizing supporters seems to be coming from our college campuses, particularly concerning demonstrations were witnessed at once prestigious institutions like Harvard, New York University, among others. Beside college campuses, the anti-Israel movement found its way to the headquarters of the DNC, Democrat National Committee in Washington, where supposed pro-Palestinian demonstrators grew violent and clashed with police there. Other protests have taken place outside our State Department, where demonstrators held handcrafted signs with anti-Israel slogans like, Israel equals cancer in the Middle East. Those protests and similar ones, according to observers who've watched the issue unfold and offered their perspectives, are part of a much larger problem meant to destabilize our country. Brooke Goldstein, who is a human rights attorney who serves as the executive director of the Lawfare Project, she said she believes it's time for law enforcement to open an investigation to find out how the protests are organized as well as 
whether the protests are connected to foreign governments or any terrorist organizations. We need to call these protesters what they are. They are not pro-Palestinian. There is no Palestinian democracy movement. You can't find one because there isn't one. There's no Palestinian peace movement. They are pro-Hamas, she said. We need to take a hard look at how a significant segment of our population has become radicalized. Law enforcement and lawmakers have for too long turned a blind eye to the operations of foreign governments within our borders, especially Qatar. They've ignored the relationship between designated terrorist groups and student groups on campuses. And she continued, these are really good words of wisdom. She continued, these protesters are not progressive. They are not nonviolent. Their purpose is to destabilize this country. There's an urgent need for law enforcement to open an investigation into how they're being organized and whether or not they're tied to foreign governments or even foreign terrorist groups. Other thoughts behind several of these protests, which have been complex and unpredictable, boils down to the teachings and activism of left-wing academics who have long supported certain racial divides and expect others to do the same thing. The left-wing academics who have been cheering on violent decolonization against Jews, they're not calling it what it is. It's anti-Semitism. In other words, hatred for Jews and the Jewish religion. They've been pushing the same hideous rhetoric against whiteness for years. It's the same thing. They just slapped another label on it. Decolonization. Same ideology. Same hatred. Same bloodlust. Rufo, a columnist, noted that several of the academic left treat the Hamas fighter as a noble savage and that they symbolize revolt against the West and through whom the academic can experience the thrill of violence. It's like that young man, that video that I saw on that Saturday, October 7th, when they started being able to get in and video some of the stuff. One young Hamas, I guess you call him military member, terrorist, I don't know what you call him, but this kid looked like he was maybe 19. And he broke into a house and there was a mom and a dad and two children. He just looked at them and shot them all, killed them immediately. Just bang, 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 bang. And they were dead. The first thing he did, he pulled his cell phone out and called his mom. And in broken English, he told mom this. He said, Mom, I just killed my first Jew. I killed four of them. Go get dad. I videoed it and I want to show it to him. Now, what kind of humanity does that describe? It doesn't. It describes it's the fruit of absolute hatred. You can't come up with anything, anything at all other than that. Nobody, no human being in their right mind can in any way justify slaughtering 
thousands of other humans. Anytime there's war, war is costly and people die. That should be the horrible part of going to war is that to win a war, you got to look at somebody, point a gun at them and squeeze the trigger. Taking human life is abysmal. And I don't care if you're right or you're wrong. It's still abysmal. What else do we have going on here? Well, Uncle Joe got a new name. You've heard it already. Genocide Joe. He's in trouble. He's in more trouble than he thought he would ever be in. Because now, if you remember the first couple of days after October 7th, he wouldn't come out in favor or say anything positive about Israel. Now that put him in a crack. You know why? Because some of the biggest, largest campaign contributors in the United States are Jewish people. And the Jewish political folks have supported Democrats for a couple of generations. Hmm. However, Joe was in a conundrum. He didn't know which way to go, so he just stayed in the middle, tried to play it both ways. That doesn't work in politics. Young Democrats up in Michigan, they're threatening to withhold their vote for President Biden because of his pro-Israel stance. You see, Joe got the pressure from the big money folks, and he had to get vocal in his support for Israel. And when you do that, you turn the other side against you. Joe's problem is the real, loud, engaged activists about all political matters right now are pro-Hamas, anti-Israel, especially the young ones. Following that first attack on Israel, Biden and his administration immediately voiced their support for the country. Biden's support of Israel, refusal to call for a ceasefire, has some young Democrats at the University of Michigan, they're reconsidering voting for him again. They did in 2020. Maybe not now. I just can't see how I can ever muster up the courage a year from now to walk to a ballot box and vote for this person that has directly been responsible for so much harm. That comes from Joseph Fisher, a student at University of Michigan. Less than a year out from the election now, some Democrat students are considering voting for a third-party candidate over Biden, even if the consequences is that it benefits Donald Trump. Now, that's coming from the Washington Post of all places. A student who supported Biden in the 2020 election told a news outlet, the Washington Post, While she has other priorities like abortion access, Biden's refusal to call for a ceasefire is just as important. In past elections, this student said, I voted a straight ticket. But in this one, I feel like it's probably not going to go that way. Democrats, Muslim groups, members of Biden's administration have continuously pressured the president to call for a ceasefire. Through the Israel-Hamas war, White House National Security spokesperson John Kirby has stressed the U.S. believes a ceasefire would only benefit Hamas. Now, God forbid 
any politician, especially a Democrat, would come out and say, we've got to be for some people. We've got to protect some people. And the people they're talking about are Jews. Kirby said, we're working hard to highlight how an extreme MAGA agenda would devastate the financial security, safety, and freedom of young people, and how President Biden and Vice President Harris are fighting for the future. That's America's young deserve. Politics. Another Michigan student, Bree Marie Willie, told the Washington Post her peers have started to form parasocial relationships with civilians in Gaza through social media. While they asked her friends, she said they've started referring to the president as Genocide Joe because he won't call for a ceasefire. The general sentiment on campus towards Joe is that he absolutely sucks, but we have to put up with him because his alternative is even worse. You know what's interesting in all of this? It's awakening a generation of young Americans. Unfortunately, for the freedom and justice and law-abiding citizens in America, the America that they're waking up to is one that they were seeing themselves being part of, which was going to be, at best, autocratic, at worst, totalitarian. Maybe there's some good in all this. (laughs) Maybe... Maybe there is, maybe there's not. Let's switch gears for a minute. You know how powerful the labor unions are in the United States. Through over 100 years, they have just gathered more and more and more strength. They get everyday workers, not just the everyday blue-collar workers, but every working American has got an opportunity to join a union. And there's a lot of expense that goes with it. Obviously, the big expense is money. you got to pay the unions, uh, and then they come around when political times and election campaigns come around. They come get campaign donations from their union members. Of course, the union members get no say-so on what their union does with that money as far as who they're going to support and whatever race it is. Well... The love of money is the root of all evil. What are unions about? Money. It's all about money. It's all about money, and money begets control, and control begets power. That's what it's all about. The most infamous union of all time in U.S. history is the Teamsters Union. Back in the early days, it was known to be very bloody, and they controlled blue-collar workers in most of the United States, literally, controlled them. Well, in this political shell game that we're watching play out, the Teamsters have got caught, listen to this, by funding 3,500 dead people. Think about that. Where'd that money come from? I don't know what the dollars were, but Teamsters, the only money they get is from their union members that they supposedly 
represent. Listen to the details of this. Let's bring in former Labor Department chief economist. She's worked in senior roles under Presidents Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and George W. Bush. We welcome and delighted to have on the show Diana Furchcott-Roth. It's good to see you. Diana, you were at that hearing. What was it like witnessing that? Well, I have to say it was very entertaining. It was a lot more entertaining than hearing about how the central state's Teamsters pension plan was dramatically underfunded and the federal government bailed it out by $36 billion uh, last year. So it was a lot more entertaining than hearing those very gloomy numbers. You know, Senator Mullen, he was saying that Sean O'Brien's not a great guy, that he reportedly has been harassing his own Teamsters union members, that he had run in with the cops. We're trying to verify all this. But this story, you know, you've been a very, you've been an expert in this area. So the Teamsters pension fund took in $127 million in federal taxpayer money, but to pay for nearly 3,500 dead Teamsters. Dead Teamsters who had left the planet, they're still on the rolls? That's according to a new report. What do you think? These plans have serious problems. They have serious problems of corruption. And the central state's Teamsters plan uh, was dramatically underfunded at the same time that the officer plan uh, was funded at 96%, Liz. And that's what's so sad about this. The Teamsters know how to fund their plans because this Labor Department form, Form 5500, shows on page 5 that the Teamsters could fund their own officer plans very well. But the plan for their members, that their members rely on for retirement, that was totally unfunded and the federal government gave it $36 billion last year out of is that, 80 is billion. Time out, Diana. Is anybody watching the store? I mean, seriously, so the, the PB, PBGC gives, the government gives Teamsters, you know, you said nearly $36 billion. And this is uh, starting in December 2022. That was from Biden's America Rescue Plan, right? So That's right. And they knew, they knew, the government knew that they got it in their hands, according to this Inspector General report, that there were 3,479 dead Teamsters who were getting pension money, but now there's reports that they're not going to try to recover the funds. So this is just like another donation to Biden's donor base. Exactly. And the unions give dramatic donations only to the Democrats. And that's why the Democrats go so easy on them, including bailing out their pensions, which was not done under any Republican presidents. Under under President Trump, they adjusted the ratios to make it easier for pensions to ask more for contributions and have less in benefits in order to get the plans in balance. But this is just bailing out the pension plans because the unions, when they get compensation under a contract, they don't get the pensions fully funded. They get higher wages because if they come back to the members and say, we got you a 10 percent raise, everyone's happy. If they say we got you a 5% raise and your pension plan is fully funded, the members aren't so happy. Got That's it. why the pension plans end up worse funded. Understood. You know, just, you just hope that the American voter, the American people see what's going on in D.C., how Democrats have abused taxpayer money, using it as their own slush fund and honeypot to pay off their Democrat voter and donor base. That's what's going on. So we just hope the American people see this. We're going to keep reporting it. Diana, you're terrific. Thank you for your expertise tonight. It's good to see you. Thank you so much. Where else have you heard anything about that? The Teamsters getting caught funding 3,500 dead people's retirement funds. 
And where did that money go? Hmm. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Dirt and evil everywhere. And there always seems to be bad stuff happening around. Big pots of taxpayer money under the control of Democrats in Congress. Or the White House, for that matter. Joe brags all the time about he's the most union president in history. Why couldn't he say that? It's a fact. It doesn't have to be being done legally. Billions of dollars of our taxpayer money. Biden chose on his own to give it billions to these unions supposedly to put into retirement funds for union workers. I wonder how much of it really got there. If any of it got there. I'm not even sure any of it got there. It's like the Ukraine aid that we give them. We give them a bunch of military equipment, planes, missiles, all that kind of stuff, but we send them billions of dollars in cash. We've told you where some of that money went to and the people it went to. The Clinton Foundation got money from the Ukraine spending dollars that our president supposedly was sending to Ukraine. Government is evil. And the United States government right now under this demonstration is evil. How evil is it? Hold your breath. We don't really know. I'm not even sure we'll ever find out, but we might. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. A wild-caught filio fish and a sizzly double cheeseburger. Well, they are two classics that never go out of style. Hold on. Wait. You're assembling a serve plus turf McDonald's hack, which must make you a menu hacker. Yes, the serve plus turf available only on the McDonald's app. You get free medium fries and a drink. Oh, someone opened the app. I need to order and build one immediately. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque and experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. For anybody 
Well, for everybody that wonders about why people want to go to work in the government, why do people want to run for Congress? Why do they want to get a bureaucratic job, an appointment to some cush job up there? Well, there are a lot of people that believe in the political system still. Thank God for that. And a lot of people that are honest and they want to go up there and work for their country. Same way about military. We haven't had a draft, a military draft, since uh, the Vietnam War. Since then, our military is entirely volunteer. And those people know the cost. They know the price, and they know what might happen. All that, they're certainly not in the military because they like the money. Military members are woefully underpaid, especially in the light of what could happen and what kind of price they could pay just for being in the military and serving us. But when you throw D.C., just Washington, D.C., into that equation and that thought process, you wonder, it's so stinking expensive to live there. And there's so much in the way of shenanigans going on all the time. Why does anybody want to go there? We found out, in fact, yesterday, we found out one reason why. Federal investigators have released details on a network of sophisticated high-end brothels in Washington, D.C. that service politicians, military officials, government contractors. And this investigation shows that the alleged ringleaders kept impeccable records of their million-dollar operation. You're not going to believe the details. It's a prostitution ring, nothing else. It was busted earlier this month by the Department of Justice with three Korean nationals arrested for their alleged roles in orchestrating a criminal network. Han Lee, 41 years old, James Lee, 68, and Jummy Young Lee, age 30, walk through the border safeguards that have been relaxed by Joe Biden's border chief. They got here and they came illegally and they started a massive multi-million dollar prostitution ring in Washington, D.C. and their stated purpose was to service U.S. politicians. The details about this criminal organization which operated in luxury apartments in Massachusetts and Virginia were revealed in an affidavit submitted to the District Court for the District of Massachusetts Wednesday by Department of Homeland Security Special Agent Zachary Mitliski. Han, who the agent described as the leader, allegedly concealed over $1 million in prostitution proceeds. I believe that Han's financial and business record-keeping was impeccable, Mitliski said. He argued the alleged co-conspirators could have access to even more money that investigators haven't yet found, thus posing a flight risk and should remain in custody until their trials. Han maintained ledgers detailing the daily activities of her brothels. At the same time of the search warrant execution, one ledger was open to a page showing stage names, appointment dates, times, and earnings of the women. And 
And one of the names on the ledger matched a woman discovered to be at the Tyson's Virginia branch of the brothel network when law enforcement executed a search warrant. She had allegedly been pimped out by these Korean suspects. Next to the ledger were envelopes containing bulk cash, handwritten notes with the staged names of women and a tally of their earnings. The agent also told about the wealth and evidence found in Hans Cambridge, Massachusetts apartment, including a Louis Vuitton shoebox containing hundreds of well-organized money order receipts, 22000 in cash, dozens of gift cards, 16 cell phones, bulk quantities of condoms, lubricants, lingerie, and pregnancy testing kits. Oh, and false eyelashes. Investigators also discovered a phone appearing to have communications between Han and the prostitutes. During those telephone conversations, Han not only listed a brief description of the anticipated customers, expected sex services, and the corresponding uh, menu. You can't call it anything but that that had prices. And schedule of appointments for the day, but also set forth what's believed to be her house rules for commercial sex workers engaging in sex for a fee at the brothel apartments. Now, according to the first court filing, Jimmy Young is believed to be the one who was in charge of booking the appointments. His Dedham, Massachusetts apartment contained 5000 in cash, four ledgers, multiple computers and cell phones. A page from an appointment book included in the affidavit appears to show at least one of the sex workers slaved for about 10 hours on October 18th from 8.30 a.m. to 8.15 p.m. with a one-hour break. Don't even let your imagination take you anywhere from that. Collectively, these three photographs showed that the prostitution network not only maintained meticulous daily records of their entire operation, but also kept those records for a long time. Deposits into Gemma Young's bank accounts totaled about $380,000. Han's bank account showed about a million dollars in mostly cash deposits going back to December of 2019. There is large concern by investigators that Han may have control over other accounts not yet identified. So after this affidavit came out, lawyers for Han and Jimmy Young agreed to a voluntary order of detention will be able to move for their release at a later date. At the time of their arrest, investigators said the commercial sex buyers allegedly included elected officials, high-tech and pharmaceutical execs, doctors, military officers, government contractors that possess security clearances, by the way, professors, attorneys, scientists, accountants, and many others. The investigation into the involvement of sex buyers is active and ongoing. That's according to the Massachusetts U.S. Attorney's Office they announced at the time. Maybe that's just, you know, one of the bennies, the benefits of being a politician or working in the government or the military for the U.S. I don't know. 
Well, as we told you, we have this ceasefire, temporary ceasefire. We've started the first transfer between Israel and Hamas of those being held hostage. We'll get more details probably before we go off the the air, the end of the show today, and we'll keep you posted there. I just have a lot of funny little feelings, and I've shared this with many others, and they totally agree with me. I can't see, in light of all of the specific and absolute claims that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel made in all of this back-and-forth consternation about a ceasefire, he said over and over and over again, there will be no ceasefire. And his justification was that would only allow Hamas to retool. And we can't do that because our commitment, he said this over and over, we will not stop until every member of Hamas's military, every one of the terrorists is dead. And then all of a sudden they come up with this hostage exchange If I was a member of Hamas right now, knowing the background of Netanyahu, I think I'd be a little scared. And I would make sure I dotted I's and crossed T's and whatever the agreement of this hostage exchange says in it. Because I'll bet you, if somebody blinks, changes one thing, does something arbitrarily that's out of the scope of this agreement, I don't think Israel will bat an eye. I think they'll go crazy and just ramp this thing back up. And I want peace in the Middle East. I honestly do. But there won't be peace anywhere on earth unless everybody that's involved in whatever the issue is agrees to it and adopts whatever it takes to get it done. Human nature doesn't seem to want to go in that direction. It's me, 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 me. We all are selfish, many to much greater degree than others. But it's all about us. It's very seldom about them, whoever the them are. Well, had some really disturbing news come out overnight about a former government official of the United States. And it's not so much that uh, what this person has to say, but who it is. Former National Security Agency, that's NSA, and CIA Director Michael Hayden, who has fashioned a post-government career that in it, he's attacking and censoring conservatives, spend his Thanksgiving day and the rest of this weekend smearing patriotic American Christians who own guns. And Hayden claims they are no different from Hamas terrorists. Wow. Two days ago, Hayden responded to a post on X, formerly known as Twitter, that juxtaposed two photos, one of a woman holding an American flag, a Bible, and a handgun, the other of a Palestinian terrorist named Reem Rishashi who killed herself along with four Israelis back in a 2004 suicide bombing that was claimed by Hamas. 
no different at all. That's what Michael Hayden wrote comparing the two pictures. This is a former CIA director, former head of the NSA. Hayden's claim comes less than two months after Hamas terrorists launched this massacre on October 7th and killed in that one attack 1,200 Israelis. Hayden's rhetoric's part of his ongoing smear campaign against conservatives, especially supporters of Donald Trump. In one social media post this week, Hayden called for Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama to remove from the human race. Last year, he claimed the GOP was more dangerous than Al-Qaeda and ISIS, both of them together. So in addition today as serving as a CNN talking head, Hayden works as an advisor for NewsGuard. If you keep up with the stories that we publish, we've got a great story online for the last couple of days about NewsGuard. It's an organization that claims to be a neutral resource for consumers to find trustworthy news outlets. They tell you, come here, come to NewsGuard. We'll tell you where to go. Yeah, right. In reality, the group sends people toward left-leaning corporate-owned media outlets, including those that have published verifiable disinformation with no corrections. NewsGuard also targets right-wing news sites in what amounts to attempts to censor and blacklist them. Hayden, by the way, was among the former deep state officials who lied to Americans by falsely claiming Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. And this guy served in multiple administrations, and he hates conservatives, and he hates gun owners. I wonder where he got all of his background and his bias. I wonder where it came from. Oh, by the way, talking about uh, the talking heads in legacy media, you know, this push, 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 nothing on earth matters at all other than climate change. Well, all of the uh, legacy networks, they have people that actually are working full-time. They're in news operations, and their total consuming event or thing, topic that they cover is climate change. But very quietly, CNBC has now eliminated their climate desk. In other words, they have no more dedicated staff that are covering climate change. Think about that. CNBC is owned by Comcast. Its news cable network hasn't publicly commented on this decision to do away with somebody permanently covering climate change. One reporter cited a LinkedIn post by recently laid off CNBC climate innovation and technology reporter Catherine Clifford, who recounted a conversation she had with her editor's boss. She said, part of a wider newsroom headcount reductions, there would be no longer any staff at CNBC dedicated to cover climate. The climate desk was being dismantled, and she said my position covering climate tech and innovation was eliminated. So parent company, 
NBC Universal, which is owned by Comcast, recently enacted layoffs across multiple divisions, though it remains unclear if the CNBC cuts were part of these layoffs. Comcast is feeling the heat. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Legacy media outlets, they're feeling heat. Who from? Americans. Everyday Americans who, because of really negative reasons, are opening their eyes and seeing we've been being spoon-fed drivel by these legacy media outlets that are no way attached to the truth. And they're trying to talk us in to supporting these radical leftist ideological things across the spectrum, and we're finding out one at a time they're not true. Comcast, feeling the heat as more and more Americans continue to cut the cord. They're opting for a a la carte streaming entertainment option over pricey cable packages. This means dwindling revenue for channels like CNBC, MSNBC, which get a chunk of monthly cable TV payments even if you don't watch them. A recent study predicts that card cutting C-O-R-D cord cutting will shrink the cable TV industry to only 38% of U.S. homes in the next four years. And just so you know it, those things are very, very, those networks are horribly expensive to operate. I mean, you think about the on-air talent. Think about people that work in the network that you watch, whatever your favorite one is. The ones that have high ratings, these anchors are making millions of dollars, and there's no way to justify that. Even if you're NBC, now, you know, MSNBC, NBC Universal, CNBC, they're all puppies, babies of the big network, NBC, the broadcast network that's been around for generations, ever since there was radio. Way before television, NBC was a monster there. They're not even in a position where they can afford to pay those salaries anymore. Why? Because their ad revenues are going down. People aren't watching it. More and more people are turning away, looking for more alternative sources for news because all they're being given is spoon-fed leftist drivel. And the leftist drivel, wake up, folks, the leftist drivel is not solving anybody's needs right now. In fact, almost everything you hear coming out of MSNBC, CNBC, even Comcast stuff, every single thing that you see and hear coming out of their mouths and showing on television don't make sense. They don't make sense. They just try to accentuate the negative on anything that can be remotely attached to a conservative ideological thing or a positive story about any conservative, especially about the orange man and his followers. Wow. Well, there's a lot of other news around. Ann Coulter, you know who she is. I wonder where she's been. Man, when Donald Trump was running for office, when he got elected president, 
She's a, a far right, I mean far right individual. Very, very conservative. She's written some really good books. I've read several of her books. She's got some great fundamental ideas. But sometimes she just kind of gets out on the edge and can't find a way to get back. Listen to this. Ter- more terrifying reality is that all, all, the, all the reporters that we've talked to who've covered this said it's mostly young women being raped by the human traffickers. Mm-hmm. We are the freest country in the world. I mean, anyone who comes from any other country, any, any immigrant to Finland makes it less white. Any immigrant to America makes it less free. We are shockingly the freest country in the world in so many ways that other cultures do not understand. The rape cultures around the country are going to be quite a surprise for the feminists. Let me just tell you, ladies, you never had it so good. You know that rapes in Britain, in Germany, in Sweden, rapes are off the charts. Women are afraid to walk alone in big cities because they have imported these people. They have different views as it's as it relates to women and minorities and everything else. So that's kind of a, that's a, it's a really big deal. I don't want to diminish the rape culture. It's actually a thing. Rape culture. Who would have thought that? You know, rape is one of the most abysmal anti-American thing that can happen to anybody. A single rape, I don't care what the circumstances are, is unconscionable and it's just reprehensible. There is no way to justify it or even come out of it in a positive way. But you just heard them say, and it's especially reaching epic proportions in Europe. And you know why? Where the big source is coming from? Illegal immigrants. In the state of Texas, since Donald Trump left office, Joe Biden took over. Criminality at every level against Texans in Texas has reached epic proportions in numbers. We covered this a few days ago. I think early in the week we revealed sources, new data points that came out of the Texas Department of Public Safety. And 400,000 felony acts have been perpetrated over the last couple of years against Texans by illegal immigrants. Everything from first-degree murder all the way down to simple breaking and entering. But the fastest-growing criminal stat in Texas that have been perpetrated by illegal immigrants is rape. Sex crimes. And it took Ann Coulter to open the eyes of any of the people in media to even talk about it. And you just heard she called it the rape culture. It's getting serious, folks. Without law and law enforcement and the accountability being input in every setting where criminal acts are taking place, without that, without holding people accountable for their evil acts. You don't have a justice system. You may have titles. You may have names on buildings. You may have a Department of Justice, but you have no justice. Laws have got to be enforced. If you have ineffective or missing law enforcement, 
which I think in the United States coming from the Biden administration top down, law enforcement, unless you're a Democrat, it's gone. It's vapid. You're not going to get it. It's not going to happen. And that's unconscionable. Without laws and law enforcement, you cannot have a real nation. It'll be torn apart because you've got to hold everybody across the board accountable for everything. And when you start picking and choosing who it's okay to allow to rape or allow to steal, and you start picking and choosing, you lose the people because the people see it and begin to proclaim we have a multi-tier of law enforcement. Who better to know that than the American citizens? Because we've watched a vast difference in law enforcement between the Trump administration and the Biden administration. Donald Trump had law enforcement on its way to making law enforcement be what it's supposed to be constitutionally. And immediately upon taking residence in the White House, Joe Biden, even before that, between the election time and his inauguration time on January 20th of 2021, he began to dismantle the law enforcement system and made it very clear. We handpick who we hold accountable. Don't you be going after any Democrat without checking with us first. I mean, that actually happened. We're going to take a break. On the other side of the break, you're going to hear from one of those uh, far leftist authoritarian people. She's back in the news. Hillary Clinton. And it's about election stuff. That's next. Fox Wednesday. Could this mysterious princess unlock riches? She's a bad singer. All hail Princess Adrian. All new I Can See Her Voice. Then TV's number one new show's top ten face double elimination. No one is safe. This can't be good. All new I Can See Her Voice and all new Next Level Chef Wednesday on Fox. No doubt you've heard about this subliminal seduction nonsense. You know... Commercials that are supposed to have hidden messages in them. Well, Baron's Saloon denies any use of this so-called mind control. After all, Baron's is seductive enough as it is. Get in your car and come right now. What with a 16-page dinner menu crammed with delectable items. You're starting to salivate. 30 dinner items under $5. And a happy hour that lasts from 4 till 8 p.m. Obviously, Barron's has that rare combination of good food, Take out your wallet. good fun, Give us your money. and good prices. Give us your cash. So let's put this subliminal seduction nonsense to rest. Nobody can do your thinking for you. Come to Barron's. You either want to come to Barron's, you do, you do. or you don't. But boy, oh boy, you do, you do. Barron's, Airport and South Academy. Technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. 
Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. When the lie becomes the norm, speaking the truth becomes a revolutionary act. Dan Newman, TNN, The Truth News Network. Okay, so I've told you before we went to break, Hillary was up next. Before we go to Hillary, there's something, somebody I want you to listen to. We were talking about what's happening in criminal criminal activities, criminality across the nation, and where we're headed, what road we're going down now, and what might happen if we don't break this trend. Got somebody that's going to weigh in here with some facts about lawlessness and criminality and what's going on now. I don't need to tell you, but I will. We Americans are becoming more and more afraid of criminal acts waiting out there for us, and we're afraid of being attacked criminally, and that fear is changing a lot of people's lives. Let's bring in former Labor Department chief economist. She's worked in senior roles under Presidents Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, and George W. Bush. We welcome and delighted to have on the show Diana Furchcott-Roth. It's good to see you. That, my friends, was the wrong audio. Please forgive me. This one (laughs) is the right one about this story. Well, crime is rocking cities all across the nation, and it is causing many Americans to feel on edge, even in their own neighborhoods. In a recent poll, 40% of us said they're scared of walking alone at night within just one mile of their own homes. David Spunt with more on the growing fear. David. Hi, Tammy. Whether it's the streets of Washington, D.C., where I am right now, north to Philadelphia, west to Chicago, even further west to San Francisco, there are concerns about a rise in crime across the country. Many police departments believe that it has increased since the pandemic. You mentioned that Gallup poll, 40% of these people, uh, to show you a little bit, uh, would you be afraid to walk alone at night within a mile of your home? In 1993, it was 43%. It dipped down right now. We're at 40%, the highest it's been since 1993 in 30 years. In Washington, D.C., police have recorded 249 homicides this year. That's a 35% increase compared to last year. The district has not seen this many murders in two decades. Now, looking at some of these D.C. statistics, 35% increase in homicides, a 67% increase in robberies, motor vehicle thefts, Tammy, up 96%. And since we're in Washington, D.C., of course, both sides of the aisle continue to blame each other. Watch. We've been very serious on dealing with uh, the crime that we have seen just across the country. And we'd love to work with Republicans on this. They have not been serious on this. Uh, The president, again, put forth the American Rescue Plan, signed that into law, put billions of dollars into communities to help uh, help mayors and, and, uh, and governors deal with crime in their city and their states. But according to our new Fox News poll, uh, Democrats receive 41 percent when asked which party would do a better job on crime. Republicans beat Democrats 
53%. But regardless of party, crime is a problem, uh, no matter if you're Republican or Democrat, independent. And there are a lot of concerns from police departments about some of these district attorneys across the country and some of those policies, because police departments, the FBI, whatnot, can only arrest people. It's up to the DAs to actually make sure that people stay behind bars. Back to right. you. Right. David, thank you. You know, Kara, this is what's fascinating, is that it is about party because this is about policy, right? This didn't just get delivered by leprechauns, my favorite delivery service. It doesn't happen that way. So it's, it's not just about what DAs will charge, but it's police knowing what the policies are and whether or not it's worth the policy with these revolving doors. So you have this, and, and I think that local news is key as well. We, we know what national news shows, you know, with the problems in these large blue cities, but like inflation, People in their own neighborhoods watch the local news. They see what's going on locally. If you're especially afraid because you live in a blue city, you're not going to be inclined to answer more of these polls. But isn't that what we're dealing with is a personal experience that especially women are having uh, and so close to home normally is not the issue, but it is now. Completely. And it's funny, our offices are just a few blocks away from where David was standing there. And I wouldn't even say it's just at night. During the day, I get worried. I used to go to lunch. I used to traipse around Capitol Hill. Not so much anymore. My head is on a swivel wherever I am. I'm very concerned about my personal security. And I never, pre-pandemic, you have a cognition of it, but you never really um, think about it in a way that's so immediate. So I was a little worried about him doing that hit there, uh, not looking behind him. However, you're right. I expect to see that number much more lopsided because it seems that leftists and leftist policies, they never connect their ideology to the outcomes isn't of their policies. That's so convenient. Yeah, it? yeah. Yes. And they'll keep voting leftists. They'll keep voting to defund the police. The D.C. police force is short 500 members this year. That is a massive problem. And we're seeing it on our streets, yeah. not just at night, but in the day too. regular day to day life. It's changed. And, and this is what we see when it comes to even the defund the police, Molly, the nature of the how many police there are, if they're empowered and if local politicians have their backs, we see this trend moving through. So it's psychological as well. Absolutely psychological. And, and part of what's going on is the government keeps giving us these numbers and saying, hey, it's not the high of the 1990s. It's neat. Well, at least it's not as bad as the 80s. It's a, and it's all in your head, but people don't think it is because they go into stores, they see the products locked up, we see the videos of the smash and grabs, and people don't feel safe. So telling us that numbers aren't as bad as they were in the bad, bad days of the 80s and 90s doesn't offer any any sort of solace, particularly, and you have raised a great point about the gender gap, women are more likely to be concerned about walking alone at night than men are. So there's a, a deep unfairness. We normally were. I mean, that's like a normal kind of state, no matter what's going on because of the situation and that dynamic. And to your point about the argument that the numbers are better, this is like apples and oranges. When you've got a different, if you're not even having people arrested or on the books, crime is going to unnaturally and artificially look lower than what was happening, let's say, in the 80s when we were arresting people. It's like, uh, you know, baseball today uh, and versus Babe Ruth. You know, what Babe Ruth accomplished without steroids and without other things, you can't compare the two. Yeah, and the metrics don't work. And, you know, to your point about women, we have to talk about in New York City about the subways, okay? That's the lifeblood of this town. And I can tell you there's all kinds of subtle ways that safety engenders prosperity. And the reverse is true as well. For instance, I know a lot of people in the nightlife industry, they can't get 
people, particularly women, to work anymore because they can't take the subway late night, which means they close 10, 11 o'clock. So there goes the city that never sleeps, all right? And that's just one subtlety. It's no accident that 1993 is the year that's name-checked there. That's the year that broken windows policing began. Right. And it worked. And there's this right. big move in, uh, in academia these days to discredit broken windows policing. And it goes yeah. to what you were saying, Kara. They just completely disconnect cause and effect. Yeah. But let's recognize something. It's going to get worse. Okay, well, we're going down yeah, in cops. We're closing uh, jails, especially here in New York City. So let's see how it works, folks. You wanted this here. And it budgets. Comes. Budgets are affected. Nicole, you see this as a doctor. You see the kind what women are coming in with, you have, uh, situations on the street. But just as a professional woman, going back and forth from home, having to go in, you're not going to be a, you know, a doctor from you know, your den. <laughs> What's your take? Well, listen, I think more not just because I'm a doctor or a mom or a woman, but just as a human. I mean, we're all seeing a rise in crime, not just in the big urban cities, like was mentioned, New York and San Francisco, but even in our small communities, we're seeing rise in crime, auto thefts and others. And it really has been since 2020, since COVID. And what happened with COVID? A lot of things happened with COVID. You have a rise of mental illness, and now you have a lot of people who are not economically stable because of what happened during COVID and then the inflation that has subsequently happened since, and it's not really correcting as fast as it should. Everything is more expensive. So when people are out stealing and doing other crimes, they steal either because they can't afford it or they're looking for the thrill of it. And if we cannot punish those that are out for the thrill of it, then we are sending the message that it's okay to keep doing it. You have to be tough on crime. It becomes a contagion when you see that there's no repercussion as well. Great point, you guys. Where are the conversations among mainstream media? about criminality. You just heard a five-minute-plus explanation of what's going on. That was at Fox News. But you're not hearing analysis. I mean, really tearing apart and looking at what lawlessness criminality is doing to the nation. Outside of the obvious statistics and the fact that anytime there is a crime committed, you've got somebody that's breaking the law, committing the crime, and you have somebody on the other side that is the subject of the criminality. And it's okay. It's okay. Governments on every street in America, almost without exception, are accepting as okay certain types of crimes today that a few years ago, they would have never said it was okay. If you don't have law enforcement, not having laws, I'm saying having laws and enforcing laws, you don't have a nation. And if we don't get this turned around, there, and maybe not our lifetimes, but the lifetimes of our children and grandchildren, there is going to be so much criminality across the nation. Everything, every bit of our social activity and our social lives is going to be changed. It's going to be reversed. It'll be exactly opposite of what we were so fortunate to live through in the second half of the last century and so far 23 years in this one. It's going to change culture, everything, business, everything is going to change if we don't take control of that. Now, I told you, we got news about Hillary. And if I'm going to give you this news, I want you to go sit down first because it's going to shock you. Some of you I know, you've already heard about it. 
but that just kind of leaked out over Thanksgiving dinner. A poll of 2,000-plus Democrats. That's a pretty good-sized poll, you got to admit. Most of those 2,000-plus, they say Hillary Clinton is their top pick for the Democrat Party's primary if 81-year-old Joe Biden decides not to run. Hillary Clinton. This was done by Harvard Harris. Pretty legitimate polling operation. And those 2,000-plus said they have doubts about Biden's mental fitness to serve again as commander-in-chief, while more voters said he's worsening as president rather than improving. 60% of all voters in that crowd of 2,000-plus, 60% said Biden shouldn't run again, though there were sharp partisan differences. 33% of Democrats compared to 81% of Republicans and 66% of independents say that. He shouldn't run again. At the same time, strong majorities across the political spectrum agree that the country needs another choice other than another matchup between Biden and Trump. Amid swirling doubts about Biden's fitness to continue, pollsters asked Democrat voters who their pick would be if Biden decided to opt out. The top pick, VP Kamala Harris, 24%. Clinton in second with 13%. Bernie Sanders, you know Bernie, Senator, he's an independent from Vermont. He was third at 10%, followed by Gavin Newsom, California governor, and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Both of them had 7%. While the poll didn't gauge voter expectations for the results of such a matchup between Trump and Clinton, the former president was expected to beat VP Harris handily in a head-to-head contest, 52% versus 41%. In terms of net favorability, President Trump trailed only Robert F. Kennedy Jr., 52 to 51%, with the former president well ahead of Clinton, 41%. And she, by the way, and all of those that were being considered, was in seventh place. Seventh place. So, while President Trump is no stranger to poking fun at Clinton, calling her a marshmallow or mocking her for barking like a dog in a 2016 campaign event, the former Secretary of State Hillary has drawn controversy over her recent remarks calling for the re-education of Trump supporters. Remember the basket of deplorables in the 2016 campaign, and now re-education if you're a Trump supporter. She told CNN's Christiane Amanpour in an interview last month, There have always been bitter battles over all kinds of things between GOP and Democrat members. Now things have become more acrimonious. Back then, there wasn't this little tale of extremism wagging the dog of the Republican Party as it is today, she said. And then she added, sadly, so many of those extremists, those MAGA extremists, 
take their marching orders from Donald Trump, who has no credibility left by any measure. Like Hillary has credibility. She never had any in the first place. She then expressed her frustration that Trump's supporters keep standing behind him despite the fact he faces numerous charges, including several dozen felonies. She said he's now defending himself in civil actions and criminal actions. When do they break with him, she asked. Because at some point, you know, maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members. Something needs to happen. Clinton's call for deprogramming, that echoed her basket of deplorables thing, she said in a campaign event, and it leaked out. She wasn't supposed to let anybody else hear it, just the closed crowd in the room. But she said it, talking about anybody that supports Donald Trump. They're racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. And unfortunately, there are people like that, and he has lifted them up. Do these people continue to think that the majority of Americans swallow that drivel? You know the definition of uh, stupid is doing the same things over and over and over again, but expecting different results when you do them the second and third and fourth time than what happened and what you got on the first. That is the definition of insanity. And boy, Hillary falls right into that. Talking about Biden and his age in this thing, And by the way, it's my birthday today, President Biden announced during the turkey pardoning ceremony on the South Lawn this week. I just want you to know it's difficult turning 60. (laughs) Biden is the oldest president in American history. If he's reelected, he'll begin his second term at the age of 82. Yeah, he's expressed optimism about his reelection chances. In spite of that, Every poll has shown that President Biden's age is a real concern for most Americans. According to a recent Washington Post-ABC poll, 74% of Americans said the president's too old to run again. Another poll by NBC released in September found that nearly 74% of those responding were concerned about the president's mental and physical health and that he is not fit for another four years in office. And talking about that, expanding that, you probably don't know what I'm about to tell you. 26 lawmakers, that's across both houses, House and Senate, 26 are not running for re-election next year. Wow. 19 of them are members of the House of Representatives. Seven senators are not running for re-election. So let's look at them. I'll give you the names. House members not running. Republican Bill Johnson from the House of Representatives not seeking an eighth term in Congress. He's accepted an offer to lead Youngstown State University. Representative Anna Eshoo, Democrat from California, said that she will not be seeking re-election. She served in Congress for 30 years. Representative Tony Cardenas, 
Democrat from California is retiring after the end of the 2024 when the current term ends. He represented the Northeast San Fernando Valley in the California State Legislature. Representative Dan Kildee, a Democrat from Michigan, not seeking re-election. Mr. Kildee was diagnosed with cancer. He underwent surgery and is now cancer-free. After spending time with my wife and children and grandchildren, he said, and contemplating our future, the time has come for me to step back from public office. George Santos, Republican, announced he has no intention to seek re-election, and that's because of his House Ethics Committee report and all the stuff that's being revealed about him being looked at for legal issues. Representative Michael Burgess from Texas, Republican, announced he's going to retire. Brad Winstrip, another Republican from Ohio, he's retiring from Congress next year. Derek Kilmer, Democrat from Washington, it has been one of the great honors of my life to serve as a representative for Washington's 6th District in Congress. I'm proud of what we've accomplished, but it's time for the next chapter. Rep. Gay Granger from Texas, Republican, currently the chair of the Appropriations Committee, doesn't intend to fight for re-election. Ken Buck, prominent Republican from Colorado, announced he's retiring. Earl Blumenauer, a Democrat from Oregon, served Oregon's 3rd Congressional District. He's been in it for 27 years. Simply said, it's time to continue my life's mission without the burden of day-to-day politics. John Sarbanes, Democrat from Maryland, he's out. Debbie Lesko, Republican from Arizona, she's out. Jennifer Wexon, Democrat from Virginia, she's out. Grace Napolitano, Democrat from California, she, by the way, is 86. She's not going to run for re-election. Victoria Sparts, Republican from Indiana, she said, being a working mom is tough. I need to spend more time with my two high school girls. Abigail Spanberger, Democrat from Virginia. Jeff Jackson, Democrat from North Carolina. And Dan Bishop, a Republican from North Carolina, they're out. On the Senate side, the prominent one that's not running, Democrat West Virginian, former governor of West Virginia, Joe Manchin announced he's not returning for re-election in the Senate. LaFonza Butler, Democrat from California, she was sworn into office to replace Dianne Feinstein. She's not running. Debbie Stabenow, Democrat from Michigan, she's not running. Ben Cardinal, longtime Democrat from Maryland, he's out. Tom Carper, Democrat from Delaware, he's not running. And the biggie, Mitt Romney, former presidential candidate, and uh, he's lived a strange life. He's worked very prominent positions in various parts of the country. He's living in Utah. He's been a senator for a while. He's not running. And Mike Brown, a Republican from Indiana, he filed purple work to run for the post of governor of Indiana. He's not running for the Senate next year. A lot of people are just hanging it up. I wonder, in all of this, I wonder if there are things unexposed, things that we don't know about, that are prompting some of these people, if not all of them, to not run for Congress again. I mean, that's one of the big deals of life. If you find a way and want to serve your country and you go to Washington, it seems like 
Most of those people hang around for as long as they can. They like it. And in most cases, they're doing great service for those they represent. But now it's like it's becoming less and less an honor to serve in D.C. And it's beginning to look like it's a real job. The mouth-watering Big Mac with a savory filio fish and a tasty McChicken. My goodness, that looks good. Oh, oh, you're making a McDonald's menu hack. Yes, a land, air, and sea. Oh, it's going to tip over. No, it's good. It's good. Very stable. Order the land, air, and sea by name, build it by hand, and hack the McDonald's menu. I'm surprised at how attracted I am to it. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke Summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? And this? Yes. And what about this? Yes. Ha! Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie. Hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement Park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Well, good news coming out of the Middle East. Hamas has released 13 Israeli and 12 Thai people from Thailand. 13 Israelis, 12 Thai hostages, as so far the ceasefire has held. That's good news. Hamas released their first wave of hostages, beginning a four-day exchange that has paused violence in Gaza. 25 hostages transported out of Gaza through the Rafah border crossing, according to the Times of Israel. Twelve Thai nationals, 13 Israelis, were released into the care of Red Cross, who transported those rescued by ambulance from Gaza into Egypt. The Israeli hostages were then expected to be transported to Israel to get care at various hospitals. Israel and Hamas, just to reflect on what this process is going to look like. They've agreed to a four-day ceasefire during which the terrorist group will release 50 women and children taken in the October 7th attack on Israel in exchange for 150 Palestinians imprisoned by Israel. These hostages will be released over a four-day period. Started already today, Israeli leaders have vowed to resume the war 
once this ceasefire is over. Honestly, I've held my breath. I just wanted to make sure there was no violence and that everything was going to happen as it had been told to the world was going to happen. We need to get this behind us. We need to get this war in the Middle East over. Maybe, just maybe, this is a good start. Hey guys, that's a wrap on Turkey Week. Thank you for being here. You have a great weekend. Stay on top of the news. And of course, we're going to have our bullet points tomorrow. And we'll be back with you Monday. See you then.